you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, I want you to do something a little bit different. I want you to think about the kingdom that you would like to be a part of. What would it look like? What would it be like? What what would your kingdom look like? Who would be there? What would be the focus of that kingdom? What would your kingdom look like? What would be the good things in your kingdom? What would be the bad things in your kingdom, if any? Would you picture a kingdom where there is no more bad things? What does your kingdom look like? You can lift your heads and look up here this morning. While I'm talking, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. This morning we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And while you're turning to Matthew chapter 13, I want you thinking about that picture you had of a kingdom. Now, we're in church, so some of you are probably already thinking about the kingdom of God. You were probably thinking about a kingdom in which God ruled over everything. You were thinking of love and peace and joy. Maybe you were thinking, some of you might have been thinking about an earthly kingdom. Maybe when we come to, we come to church this morning, our hearts and minds are full of everything that's going on in our nation and in the world. And so maybe that influenced your, your kingdom and what you pictured when you pictured your, your kingdom this morning. Um, the question I didn't ask, who is in charge of your kingdom? You know, sometimes you have, picture your kingdom. What does it look like? And the first thing we do is we got us sitting on a throne, <laughs> wearing a crown. Amen. You know, what does your kingdom look like? It, it looks like me ruling over everything, which sounds great until everybody else has that same vision and they're all on a throne. Amen. Uh, so that's when we begin to realize that we can't have a kingdom. You can't have multiple kingdoms with multiple rulers and, and ever ultimately have, have peace or be satisfied because ultimately, I think one of the biggest struggles in life is that we all want to be the, on the throne of our own kingdom. Amen? We all like to be in charge. Y'all getting real quiet on me this morning. Y'all going to make me preach hard, aren't you? <laughs> in their time in our, are there times, let's just ask it this way. Let me ask, aren't there, aren't there times in your life where you just, you know better than everybody else? There we, now we're getting there. Okay, Amen. <laughs> We, 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 just, we just live and we look at the world and, and, boy, if I could just, if I were in charge, or boy, if I could do this. Well, what I want us to be encouraged by this morning is the fact that there is someone who's in charge who knows what everybody needs, who knows what needs to be done, who can handle everything, and he can do it way better than me or you or anybody else. Amen? And so we want to talk about the kingdom of God this morning in Matthew chapter 13. Um, now, I, want you to be, I don't want you to be too encouraged by the fact that I only have one sheet of paper for my notes, <laughs> but I don't want you to be discouraged by the fact that I have eight points, okay? It's not going to be that bad. We're actually going to look at, and, and I don't want you to start sweating profusely when I tell you we're actually going to look at all of Matthew chapter 13, okay? We're going to get through this together, <laughs> amen? 
And I'm just going to do a survey. Um, you, you, I want you to know that normally I preach exegetically. I like to go to a passage of Scripture and just stay in that passage and draw everything out of it, look at the meaning of it. And then there's topical messages where you maybe bounce around a little bit. And, uh, and, and so this is a topical message, but we're going to look at one very large text, and we can't pull everything out of it. So it's a little bit of exegesis, a little bit of topical preaching. But I want you to understand this. Whenever you study the Bible, and whenever, especially when you hear a preacher and he's preaching more topically, then exegetically, he's focusing on a passage. He's focusing on an idea rather than a passage. I want you to listen for the principles, because what I'm going to give us this morning are eight principles. Amen? And if you get those principles, you'll have enough that for the rest of your life, as you read and study about the kingdom of God, it will help guide you in your thinking and your understanding. All that makes sense? Amen? All right, good. So, uh, now you'll see on the bulletin you had two different texts that were there. Matthew and Luke were used, and I actually changed that. But in Matthew 6.33, it's a verse you're probably familiar with. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Most of us know that verse, right? And, and so if we're going to seek the kingdom of God, probably be a good idea to know what the kingdom of God is. Amen? And so we want to look at that this morning. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven... Uh, uh, are two, two terms that are used. Well, let me start by this. In Matthew, Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven. That's exclusive to him. The other gospel writers all refer to the kingdom of God. Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven. A couple different reasons why he might have done that. None of them really are important this morning. Amen? Uh, all, except for one, and, and we'll get to that. Okay? Uh, but it's, it's exclusive to Matthew. And, and a careful study of the two terms will show you that there's, there's little or no significant difference. They're used interchangeably. And, and even Matthew uses both terms at least once. So even though Matthew, Matthew uses kingdom of heaven, on one, at least one instance he does refer to the kingdom of God, where Mark, Luke, and John all refer to the kingdom of God. And sometimes they tell the same story, the same passage, the same instance of something that happened, the same parable, and, and Matthew changes the term. That lets us know that in and of themselves the terms can be used interchangeably. They're not always two different terms. If you're with me so far, say amen. Okay, good. So I don't want you to be confused. Oh, if I read kingdom of God, it has to mean this. If I read the kingdom of heaven, it has to mean this. No. Uh, what I want us to understand is that each term, however it's used, whenever it's used, it's, it's a relational term, and we look at it from the viewpoint of the speaker and the recipient. And with that in mind, there are three different aspects to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So when anytime you read whatever phrase you use, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, it's talking about one of three things, and sometimes it could mean two or even all three of those things. You have to read it in context, just like you have to read any of your Bible. Amen? You can't just pull one portion of Scripture out and say this is what this passage means, especially when, as too many preachers and Christians do today, we take a passage and we pull it out and we make it say something that contradicts what the rest of the Bible teaches. Amen? Because the Bible does not contradict itself. I heard guys, they, people attack Christianity all the time. Well, the Bible's full of contradictions. I always hand them my Bible and say, show me one. They can't do it. Well, I heard. Well, I, I, that's your problem right there. You're listening to the wrong people. Amen. You've heard. You haven't read. Amen. And so I can guarantee you there's no contradictions. There's some difficult passages in the Bible, but there's no contradictions. Amen. All right. Now, so there's three possible meanings. First, there's the universal kingdom of God over all creation. 
over which God has complete and absolute rule and authority. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about everything over all the universe, the heavens and the earth, uh, the stars, mankind, earth, all the planets, all the creatures, the kingdom of God, it's his, it's his rule. The kingdom of God refers to his rule and authority over everything that ever has been or ever will be in creation. Amen? Then there's the second. There's the spiritual kingdom over which God rules in the hearts of those who have put their faith in Christ and have become the children of God and citizens of the kingdom by choice and new birth. So the second part is that spiritual kingdom. It speaks of those of us where it refers to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven refers to those specifically those of us who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So you've almost got like a kingdom within a kingdom. You with me? Amen? You've got all of creation. And then within that, you've got the very specific kingdom of God's chosen people, the saints of God, those who've been born again, redeemed, put their faith in Jesus Christ. And you're a citizen. The Bible says you and I are citizens of heaven or the kingdom of heaven. Amen? All right, all right. And then there's, here's the third thing. The third one is the earthly kingdom of all nations over which God has absolute rule and authority. And by the way, that phrase is common to all three of these. God has absolute rule over authority over all the kingdoms, over all the hearts of men, over all the hearts of those who've been born again, and over all the nations of the earth. There is nowhere where God does not have absolute rule and authority. He is God. You've seen the signs before, two rules for life. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you are not him. I saw another one that's a little different. I like this. It says, rule number one, God is always right. Rule number two, if God is wrong, see rule number one. So we understand that God has absolute rule and authority over everything. Amen? And this final kingdom is the kingdoms of the, over the nations of men, but will one day all be fully united under Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, that introduction is important because in Matthew's gospel, he really emphasizes most of the terms that he uses, and this is why I think ultimately he uses the term kingdom of heaven, is because Matthew is emphasizing the role of Christ as the king of kings and as the Messiah promised in the prophecies of the Old Testament. In other words, because Christ is the great fulfillment, Matthew writes to present him as the one who is above all value and measure, the king to be desired above all kings, the prince above all princes, the ruler above all rulers, the president above all presidents, the sovereign above all who would call themselves sovereign. Christ is the one to be treasured and desired above all else. That's what Matthew's gospel is presenting. And that's why Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven, because he's, I think he's trying to narrow it down a little bit. And he's trying to get us to see that everything in this world and under the dominion of this world is ultimately going to find its worth and its value only in the person and work of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. So, for a church in transition, like this one, this truth, this truth is of vital importance because it shapes the very mission and vision of a local congregation of believers. It is here where a church decides, knowingly or otherwise, where her allegiance lies. You see, there are too many churches, beloved, where we'll give lip service to the King of Kings, but we're on the throne of our hearts and lives. Or the pastor is on the throne of the church. Amen? There are too many times where we fall into this trap of thinking, knowing one thing, and maybe even saying one thing, but when we look at our lives, it's very different. 
God is not on the throne. God is not ruling. He's not reigning. We are, or we're trying to. Amen? And oh me. So a church has to decide. Where's our allegiance line? What kind of a church are we going to be? What, who's going to rule over First Baptist Church of Mableton? Now, I love preaching to you guys. I love the amens. I love the singing, the raising the hands, and looking out and watching you worship and seeing and sensing that in this congregation, there is a desire among the people here to magnify God and to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to ever lose that. Amen? I definitely don't want, I don't want this church to fall in the trap of, of as you go through this time of transition, trying to take control of a process over which God is sovereign and in his timing will put his man behind a pulpit who will not be a man who will try and usurp God from his authority or your authority as the people of God. Amen? That makes sense? Did you get that? Amen? Your amens let me know I'm making sense. You don't amen, I have to back up and start all over again. So even if, even if here's, the, here's the deal. If you don't just say amen, we'll keep moving. Okay. <laughs> so, Matthew chapter 13. If you're there, let's look at this. And we want to look at a few things about the kingdom. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to read all this because I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we are going to look at it. So there's eight things I want to look at in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is teaching here, and he repeatedly refers to the kingdom of heaven. Eight different times he gives an example and explains. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is the mystery of the kingdom. In verses 1 through 23, in verses 1 through 23, Jesus gives a parable, a very familiar parable. It's the parable of the seed. Well, some have called it the parable of the seed. It's actually the parable of the soil. Because in this parable, the Bible says that a sower went forth to sow, and as he sowed, Seed fell on different types of ground, the wayside, the stony ground, the weedy ground, and the good ground. It fell on different types of ground, but the only seed that brought forth fruit was the seed that fell on the good ground. So the problem wasn't with the seed, the problem was with the soil. And that's important, because in Matthew chapter 13, he says in verse 8, Others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold, who has ears to hear... Let him hear. And the disciples said, Why do you speak unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundantly. But whoever does not have, from him shall be taken away even that which he has. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because Seeing, they see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And at the heart of what Jesus is saying, it's not that they can't see, it's that they don't want to see. It's not that they can't understand, but they don't want to understand. Because what Jesus is talking about is a kingdom that runs contrary to their kingdom. And you, and you can just count on it, beloved, in this world, when you and I live as Christians and, and we represent Christ for a lost and dying world, there are going to be people, that you can tell them the Bible and, and you, can just be, you can be the most eloquent and articulate and you can present a sound argument, but in their mind, it contradicts their kingdom. It's going to cause them to realize that they have to dethrone themselves and they don't want to do that. And it's not that they can't see, but they don't want to see. It's not that they can't hear, but they don't want to hear. It's not that they can't understand, but they don't want to understand. And so the first mystery is the mystery of the kingdom. We have to want to know the kingdom. 
And even with our wanting, then we must have the divine ability to hear and understand. So we have to want to have it. And then even then, God has to be the one who's doing the speaking and giving the understanding. You and I can't convince anybody of anything. The Holy Spirit has to do that. You're a part of the kingdom of God because there was a time in your life when the Holy Spirit spoke to you and you saw your need for Christ, you trusted him, and you became a child of God. You didn't understand that on your own. You understood that because God gave you the ability to understand it. And at some point you wanted it, you needed it, and you knew that. You had been brought to a place in your life to where when it was time to hear, you were ready to hear. And so there's two parts that are required in any changing of a life. We have to realize that it's time for a change. We have to see the need. And then we need a divine, supernatural, sovereign God to speak on a level that we can hear and understand and see what's needed to be done. Amen? And the mystery of the kingdom is that he speaks in parables. Not everyone understands. Then people look at the church and say, why do y'all go to church on Sunday? Why do y'all believe it? We don't understand. What's, what is it about you people? You can try and explain them to them all you want. They're not going to get it. You can do it with or without a parable. They're not going to get it. Because number one, they don't want to get it. Amen? And number two, they can't get it unless God shows it to them. That's the mystery of the kingdom. You and I are part of something that when, on most days, just, just, just rest in this truth, beloved. Just rest in this truth. That on most days, you and I can't explain to someone outside the mystery what it's like to be inside the mystery. Because it's still really a mystery to us. Amen? It's still a mystery to me why I'm saved, why I heard the gospel, but all those kids that I went to Sunday school with, and, and, and a few of them in particular, I remember the, the, the family that I used to go to Sunday school with several years ago when I went and revisited that family. None of them were in the church. None of them knew Christ. We all went to the same church, same Sunday school, same preacher, same lesson, same Jesus, same everything, and yet today I'm preaching the gospel, and as far as I know, the four of them have nothing to do with God. Unless something has changed in the last 20 years since that's been. And so I had lived my life, went to the army, done all these things, and knew where I and went back and saw it, and, 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 and I can't explain that mystery. I can't tell you why you got two people in front of you and you share the gospel with them, and one of them, man, it's like a light bulb, and that's, I want to trust Jesus, and the other one says, you have lost, that's the craziest, dumbest thing. One walks away, one falls on their face. That's a mystery you and I will never understand. And the mystery of the kingdom is that we have to want to know. And with our wanting, even then, God must speak to us. And he goes on and talks about the prophecies of Isaiah. Verse 16, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. The prophets, I love that, and even Peter talked about it, the prophets who wrote and recorded those things didn't even understand what they were writing and said, man, you got to picture a prophet who's giving this message, and when he walks away from giving that message, he says, God, what in the world did that mean? And God says, can't tell you. <laughs> it's not for you. It's a couple thousand years down the road. Now they know now because they're in heaven and they're looking and going, oh, I get it. It's easy to see the mystery when you're on the other side of heaven. It's not much of a mystery when you're in the presence of the one who gives. The, amen? But the mystery of the kingdom is the first thing we need to understand. Here's the second thing. The merging, the merging of two kingdoms. Verse 24 through 30. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. 
But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said, Sir, did you sow good seed in your field? Yeah, of course. Then, then, then why, does there, why are there tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, Well, should we go then and gather them up? Should we tear up all uh, of the tares? And he said, No, because while you're gathering up the tares, the root of the wheat will come with them. When you try and pull out the tares, you're going to damage the wheat in the process. Let them grow together until harvest time. And in the harvest time, I will say, gather together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. (laughs) And then in verse 36 down to verse 43, Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Do Do you understand? The first thing the disciples said was, Why are you speaking to them in parables? And he said, I'm speaking to them in parables because they don't, I'm not, that's not for them to know, it's for you to know. Now he gives another parable and they walk up to him and they go, we don't even get this parable. <laughs> you need to explain this to us. Amen? When you open your Bible, anytime you study the Word of God, beloved, the first thing that you ought to do is you open the Word of God and say, all right, God, you need to show me what I need to see and help me understand it. Otherwise, you're not going to get anything out of it. God has to show us. You got that? Amen? The Bible is not understood with human reasoning. It's understood with the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. So he says, declare unto us the parable of the tares. And he answered and said, he that sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. That's us. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Can I, can I, can I tell you something? If I know anything about my Bible, if I know anything about the world we're living in, there's somebody in this room this morning. You are a tear. You are not a child of God. You have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You know who you are. You know if you're trusting in the church. You know if you're here and you're trusting in Jesus or not. And the danger is sometimes we think we're trusting in Jesus, but then the life we're living tells us otherwise. That's why Jesus said you don't try and sort the two out while they're still together. I have, and, and no pastor, no pastor, no good preacher will ever stand and look at a congregation pointing fingers trying to figure out, you, you can't do it, you can't do it. And as a congregation, there's times, you, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you've sat under preachers and you've thought, man, what a great man of God. I guarantee you, if you've lived any length of time in the church, you've sat under a preacher who's preaching the Bible, who himself was as lost as the day is long. That close to Jesus and yet so far from him. Amen. And oh me. The tares and the wheat. And, and he said, you can't pull them out. Why? Because the roots run too close together. And you try and pull out that tear, you're going to hurt the wheat in the process. So he says, you just wait until harvest. So here's the, here's the parable. He says, the enemy that sows the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who do iniquity. He will cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father who has ears to hear. Let him hear. There is coming a day when you and I are going to have to separate anybody, God knows who his children are and who is not. God knows who the devil has put in the church to deceive and destroy and corrupt and who is there because they are truly born again and a child of God. So, beloved, you can count on this. If you're here this morning and you do not know for sure, you do not understand, this is not a game you want to play. This is not a simple matter. This is eternal. This is life or death. 
for the church of Jesus Christ, for any church, whether they're in transition like this one or have a pastor or not, there is nothing greater, nothing more wonderful, more powerful than to preach and proclaim the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that he saves and then just give people a chance to accept Christ. And if you have any doubt, if you're not sure, do not leave without settling it in your hearts this morning. And so these two kingdoms merge. We have to be careful in who we think is or isn't an inhabitant of the kingdom. And Jesus, by the way, told the disciples in another place, he said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. So oh, no church should ever think, well, we, we're the church. Well, this is how this, we're Christians are here. All, every other church needs to look at us because this is how you do church. You know, every, there's a, a, for every church that's saying that, there's a hundred others saying the same thing. Oh, this is how you do, no, this is how you do church. We all have a different place, a different role, a different opportunity that God has given us. Amen? And so the merging of the two kings. Here's the third thing. Look at verse 31 and 32. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. The third thing is, see the mystery of the two kingdoms, the merging of the two kingdoms. Now I want you to see the might of the true kingdom. The might of the true kingdom. This is the earthly kingdom clearly spoken of. What he's talking about here is the earthly kingdom. Remember I said there's three here in this parable. He's clearly talking about the kingdom of heaven, the grain of mustard seed, when all the nations, when all the animals come and find lodging in it. He's referring to one earthly kingdom that ultimately becomes the spiritual kingdom. In other words, one day God is going to reveal that the only true shelter in this world is found by being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The only security you will ever have is when your security is in Christ. The only way that you will ever find refuge and shelter and peace from a world that wants to destroy you is when you find that refuge, shelter, and peace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in a local congregation or a local church that has committed to representing faithfully the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. See, that's the might of the true kingdom. People want peace. You find peace in Christ. We want safety, safety in Christ. Purpose, purpose is found in Christ. You want peace, peace is found in Christ. Everything this world is looking for, God has provided through Jesus Christ. Number four, look at verse 33. Another parable he spoke, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto eleven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak unto them. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so the fourth thing I want to talk about this is the spread of the true kingdom. Seeing the might of the true kingdom, well, how do we, what do you think about the spreading of the true kingdom? Only a little obedience is needed. To reveal the power of God's kingdom. Only a little obedience. A little leaven. Jesus said a woman takes three lo big loaves of meal and she puts just a little bit of leaven in there. And she tosses it together until the leaven spreads throughout the whole loaf and causes the whole loaf to rise. Doesn't take much leaven. I don't know about you. I'll give you an example that I know I've never, I've never baked bread I, I, I just I don't understand the need to bake something when I can buy it. I just, it's just, you know, there it is. I mean, 
especially when I can buy it better than I could bake it. I just, but we used to bake bread, but we didn't make, we never made bread. It's frozen. You thaw, you let it thaw out, it rises, and you cover it, and you put it, and then and you put it in the oven. We used to bake bread, uh, and, and, and it's good, and it comes out of the oven, it smells so good, you cut it, and the butter just melts on it, amen? But I've never made bread. You know what I have made? You know what I've tried to make one time, and only one time, never tried again? I've tried to make, I don't know what you call it. It's when you take egg whites and you whip them up until they get all fluffy. Is that meringue? Is that meringue? Yeah, okay. I tried to make meringue. I'm not even, I don't, I'm not, I'm not even sure I'm saying the word right. So here I am trying to make it. But I, 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 here's what I know. I separated the, I took egg, cracked, I separated the egg whites. And you put the egg whites, you put the egg yellow, you put the yolks over here, you get the egg whites in the bowl. And I remember, I remember distinctly in the instructions saying, do not let any of the yolk get in the egg whites. And I had like three eggs and all these egg whites. And I remember seeing one little speck of yolk in the egg whites. And I remember thinking, it's not going to affect anything. There's plenty of egg whites in there. The egg whites will overpower that little tiny egg yolk. I beat those egg whites. It's a wonder I can't pick up a truck. I, and, and they didn't fluff. They didn't do, the only thing those did was scramble. I, I'm not even sure they would have, and by the time I'd beat them up, so I'm not sure if you'd have scrambled them, they'd have been fit to eat. But I'm going to tell you, that one little drop of egg yolk kept those whites from fluffing the way they were supposed to. So that's the negative. That one little thing kept them from coming Just the opposite of that is, and and by the way, one little spot of wickedness will keep, amen, but one little bit of righteousness put in a loaf, just one little bit of righteousness can spread and make the righteousness, amen, that's what the parable here, you want to see the kingdom spread, you need to understand, beloved, when you think about the kingdom of God, it's just a little obedience from you, just your little part in the kingdom of God will help the kingdom spread grow will help this church grow will help the name of jesus christ to spread into mableton and beyond just a little bit just a little bit amen number five look at verse 44 again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden a field which when a man finds he hides and 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 for joy he goes and sells everything he has to buy the field Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's the fifth thing, the value of the true kingdom. What do we treasure in this world? Jesus said that the, Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew, using the, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's like a pearl of great price. Two different parables telling the same thing. That two men looking for something of great value when they found it, made sure that they did everything they need to secure that item of great value. The man sold everything he had to buy the field. The other man sold everything he had to buy the one pearl of great price. What do we treasure? What is it worth? What is it worth to you to be a part of God's kingdom? What is it? The Bible, this is what Jesus said. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul. See, we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about people having to make a choice. They're going to huddle over their little handful of precious jewels and trinkets. Are they going to walk away from that to take the greatest prize and the greatest treasure, the treasure of Jesus Christ? 
the treasure of knowing God? What does it profit a man? What is it worth to you to be a part of the kingdom of God? What are you willing to give up? You want to know why so many people don't put their faith in Jesus Christ? You want to know why so many people won't come to faith in Christ? Because they're not willing to give up. They're not willing to give up what they think is worth more than knowing Jesus. And the devil's going to put stuff in front of you. He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you that thing you're addicted to is worth more than Jesus. He's going to tell you that idea is worth more than Jesus. He's going to tell you that little pleasurable thing that you have in your life is worth more than Jesus. But there's nothing worth more than knowing Christ. Nothing more valuable, nothing of greater treasure than the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Number six, look at the scope of the kingdom. Look at verse 47. How big is this kingdom? Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind of fish which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but they cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So here again, you have where before you had the tares and the wheat, now you have it pictured in the fish and the net, and again you have this image of fire. And we are living in a day, beloved, we are living in a day where men are preaching and they're writing books and they're telling us that you don't have to worry about eternity, you don't have to worry about hell, that that's just a fiction, that's a figment of our imagination. Beloved, that is what Jesus said, that there is a place reserved for those people who choose not to trust in Christ that is described in the only way that Jesus chose to describe it as a place of everlasting fire and torment. And I'm going to tell you, beloved, that there is nothing worse than knowing that when you have died, when you have gone out of this world and you have rejected Christ and you are in eternity without him, being in a place, whether it's literal fire or not, whether you're in a place where you know that Christ is not there, And Jesus, the only way he could describe it is as a place where it burns and it consumes and you long for the day that you could go back and live your life over again and never have that chance. Hell, beloved, is a place that is real and it is a place of judgment. And Jesus said it is a place of fire. And and I'll tell you what I heard Dr. R.C. Sproul say years ago. For these preachers who say that it's not literal fire, If it's not literal fire, but that's how Jesus chose to describe eternity without him. That's how he describes hell. What makes us think that the reality of hell is going to be less than the description? You see, I think Jesus spoke in terms that we could understand, and I think hell is even worse than it's pictured here. And I can guarantee you this. I can't imagine living my life without Jesus. And I definitely can't imagine living in eternity without him. And so, beloved, what is the scope of the kingdom? It is the whole earth. It is like a net cast into the sea with all kinds of fishes, every tribe, every tongue. We've been preaching on this in recent weeks. The problems we're seeing in our nation, the problems we're seeing in the world today, the things that we're saying. I shared this when I was in Honduras with those men who were there. The military was in the church that morning. Actually, we were in Nicaragua. The men were there that morning, 
and uh, or maybe it was Sunday, I don't remember now, but we were in one of those two countries, and the military was there, and I remember looking at them, and I remember telling them, you are in the military, because your nation and my nation, we have military. Why? Because we are at war with each other, because we are living in a hostile world, and the greatest war that man is waging ultimately is not against each other, but against the God who made us. And when we begin to see that Jesus died for all the nations, when Jesus died for red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Amen. When we begin to see that, then the wars will diminish and the strife will diminish. It's always going to be there because the devil is going to work. But, beloved, when the church begins to embrace the idea that every tribe, every tongue, every kindred belongs to God and is redeemable by Christ, then we'll have the unity and the reconciliation that we long for in this world, at least in some small measure, until Jesus comes back. Because I can promise you this, beloved, and some of you will know what I mean when I say this, there are no railroad tracks running through heaven. There is no such thing as the people who live on the other side of the railroad tracks. I love the fact that there's a railroad track right outside, amen. Middle of Sunday morning service, you can hear the horn, amen. No, beloved, in heaven, it's going to be beautiful. Because in heaven there will be Americans, Asians, Germans, Russians, Hispanics. Pick pick your tribe, pick your nation, pick pick your color. They're all going to be there if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing when we look at a church and we see a little bit down here of what it's going to be like up there. That's the scope of the kingdom. Number seven, I want you to see the wisdom of the kingdom. Look at verse 51 and 52 and get these last two quickly. Jesus said unto him, have you understood all these things? And they said unto him, yes, Lord. (laughs) Now, they probably answered him about like you answered me. Are y'all with me? Amen. Amen. No, we don't. We don't. We're not. (laughs) They probably said, sure, Lord. We, we, Yeah. Sometimes we say we understand because we like to think we do, but reality is we're going to spend the rest of our life wrestling with the Bible. Amen? You can open your Bible and you can read something today on any given day that you've read a hundred times before and you'll see something that you never saw before. Amen? Do you understand these things? Yes, Lord. Then he said unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed into the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. He said, if you understand this, you're like a householder. You're like a steward. You are a keeper. I love this, beloved. I I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we'll still be in the camera if I walk. I just got to come down here for this one. I I just, you and I have been given the trust of the greatest treasure this world has ever known. We have the ability to open up the Bible in the Old or the New Testament, anywhere in Scripture, and show anyone who wants to know the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Almighty God. We are, we are stewards. We are householders. See, this, this, the seventh thing I want us to see is, 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 is the, the beauty and, and, and the treasure that we have let me look at my words. The wisdom of the kingdom. Let me, let me re- I wrote it down. Let me read what I wrote. Truth is always the highest measure of value in God's kingdom. We have the privilege of sharing truth. And as one old preacher said, when someone said, what is truth? 
And he said, truth is whatever God says. Amen. To keep the words of Scripture near and dear to our hearts and share them willingly and joyfully with each other and the world is an incredible trust. It is or should be our delight to know the stories of both the Old and the New Covenants and how they fold together for one beautiful story of redemption. Let me tell you something, beloved. I, we're preaching from the New Testament, but, but give, eventually we're going to go to the Old Testament. We've preached some there already. We're going back. Amen. I, I don't care how long you've been in church. You're never too old. You're never too mature. You, 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 you should never get over stories like David and Goliath. That's not just a child story, amen? I, I, I'm grown and I love that story, amen? David and Goliath, Moses, standing holding his part in the Red Sea, they're going through the, the sea, folding up and wiping out the Egyptian army. The power and majesty and the might of God. You and I, beloved, we hold the wisdom of the kingdom. A church holds the wisdom of the kingdom in its hands. And when we gather together, it's our joy. And it's the preacher's joy, a good preacher's joy to be able to open up the Bible and, 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 just, and just pick a jewel. Man, I wish I had one I could hold. Here, I'll, here, let me do this. That's gold. And those are diamonds. That's my wedding ring. That's precious to me. For a lot of reasons. It's my wedding ring. My wife bought it for me. It means I belong to somebody. She knows it, amen? <laughs> we get to open up the Bible, pick a jewel, pick a treasure, and say, hey, look at this. See, the jewel that I'm sharing with us this morning is the kingdom of God. And, and it's a multifaceted jewel. We've, we've, we've turned it over. We looked at seven sides of it. We're going to look at eight before we're done. As a Christian, as a Christian, you ought to know your Bible that way. There ought to be story. You, you, when, you, when you encounter someone, there ought to be a story that you can go to and you get excited about. Man, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you fully, let me show you something. Let me show you something precious. Amen? I'll put that on before I fling it. <laughs> I haven't. I get y'all know I get excited when I preach, but I haven't preached out of my watch yet. I, 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 I was at, when we were at Calvary. I don't know what it was when we were at Calvary in Barnesville. When I was preaching there, there was just something about that church. On any given Sunday, I would, I would, you know, the watch would just come, come fly almost. And I have to. It was a metal watch. I quit wearing the watch because it just, and I'd catch it right at the. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I put my ring back on so I don't. Amen. It's my ring. It's my ring. It's precious to me. I'll show it to you, but it's. It's precious to me. We get to show it to people. It's precious to us. We show it to them. And then they, they get to take a Bible. And it becomes precious to them. Christ who's precious to us becomes precious to them. Amen. Number eight. Whew. This is the hard one. The rejection of the kingdom. Verse 53. It came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed. And when he'd come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so much that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom? Where's he getting this wisdom from and these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? His brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, aren't they all with us? 
from where then does this man get all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Sadly, not everyone will see the kingdom of God and embrace it as their own. And sadly, sometimes that's going to happen. Listen, beloved, the world's going to look at you and they're going to look at me and they're going to say, isn't that that kid used to call I remember, I remember when he was in school. Isn't that the one that was always throwing chalk at the teacher? Isn't that the one that was always pulling the girl's hair? Isn't that the one that was always stealing this, saying this, writing that? Isn't, this, isn't that the person? Aren't they the, hey, aren't they the ones that used to do? And then we tell them who we are and they go, I know you. You're that person. And they miss it entirely because I want you to get it. I want you to get it. They're going to look at us and they say, aren't you the ones that used to? And that's exactly right. We're the ones that used to. Hallelujah. I don't know more. Amen. The world's going to find a reason to say no. Make no mistake. Unbelief will kill a congregation faster than anything the devil can devise. And make no mistake about it, unbelief is one of the devil's greatest tools. He used it in the garden, and he hasn't stopped using it since. Has God really said? Did God really say? Is that really what God, is that really, do you really believe the Bible? Do you really think that there's such a thing as a kingdom? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Are you really going to believe that? And the answer to that question is absolutely. Absolutely. And anything less than that puts us on shaky and dangerous ground. Church, we must decide what we're going to believe if we're going to be used by God for his greatest glory and our greatest joy. And there is no greater joy than being a part of the kingdom of God. There is no greater joy than being a part of the kingdom of God and watching it grow and helping it grow. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God, you're a part of that second kingdom part of all three but that second kingdom the important one the spiritual kingdom god ruling and reigning in our hearts and god can use you in ways you haven't even thought of yet so do not doubt who you are and do not doubt what god has said about who you are amen do not doubt what you can do and do not doubt what god has said you can do Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you're a part of this kingdom, do not leave without trusting Christ.